We tend to we tend to sacrifice ourselves for everything and everyone else, and really, when we do that, we're suboptimizing you know what's really important to us and, and the way that we show up. And so, I think you know taking care of ourselves is is the first priority, and then everything flows after that. It's interesting, you know. I've got I've got four kids, and as you're saying that, I was just thinking about the airplane example of like put your own oxygen yeah. mask put your own oxygen mask on first. Absolutely. Like as a parent, there's nothing you want more than to protect your kids. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Jen Fisher from Deloitte. Jen, for anybody who missed part one, can you tell us about your unique title and uh, what that means you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the Chief Wellbeing Officer at Deloitte, and that essentially means that I work day-to-day to really set strategy, tools, resources, programs, culture around empowering our people to take care of themselves um, so they can show up at their best in their personal and professional lives. Well, I think one of the things that really intrigued me from part one was this idea of, you know, I guess it's pretty obvious to a lot of us, like, if people like their life, if people like their job, they're going to be better at their job. And plus, like, isn't that just, doesn't it make you more happy as a boss to know that you're making other people's lives happy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, don't you have to work with these people? Wouldn't you rather work with happy people, right? But you talked about this idea of, of layering that into the job, having well-being, not just this like this thing on top of the job or this thing that we work on after work, but having it be a part of the work. I'm interested if you could speak more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we talk about it as kind of well-being in the, in the flow of work. And so there, there kind of, there's probably more than two ways, but the way that we're, we're looking at it now is kind of the easiest and most basic way, if you will, is around, you know, team behaviors and norms. And so we know from our own research, but there's a lot of external research that, you know, that the, the people that have the biggest impact on your health and happiness or your well-being are the people that you spend the most time with in, in a day, right? Or most often. And for those of us that work, <laughs> we spend the majority of our day working. And so it's our team, right? It's the people and team can be defined loosely or, you know, but it's really the people that you interact with most regularly on a day in day out basis. And so getting together and creating some structure and, 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 you know, some ideas for teams to get together, we call them team behaviors and norms. So for teams to get together, have a person that is, you know, appointed on the team is kind of like the, you know, the well-being ambassador, if you will, and the team get together and decide what do we want our behaviors and norms to be? And that can be as simple as what do we want our standard working hours to be? Like, are we all going to, you know, in general, are we all going to be online from 9am to 5pm? And if that's the case, that's great. How do we get in touch with each other after hours? So that way we don't all have to be connected to email 24 hours a day. Email is a terrible way to get in touch with each other after hours. So like, how are we going to do that? Are we going to do it by text? Are we going to call each other up? Do we want to step away from our computers for an hour every day for lunch? You know, does, you know, Jess need to take Tuesday afternoons off because he's doing something with his kid or he's, you know, training for something special or he's going to a class and then Jen wants to take Wednesday afternoons off, you know? 
those kind of team collective norms and behaviors. So we understand what everybody's goals are. We can support it. And also, so everybody knows what's expected of them. I know when I'm expected to respond, reply, react, be available. And when I'm not, I'm empowered to set boundaries and let everybody know what those boundaries are. And we will figure it out as a team as how to to support one another. That's kind of the simplest and most basic way. You can take that as far as like, how do we do team learning and development? Do we all want to spend an hour together or separate on Friday afternoons doing learning and development? So it's about permission. It's about empowerment. And for the individual, it's about autonomy and actually understanding expectations. Like what, and especially in this virtual world that a lot of us have been living in, you know, you've, we've read so much about people don't know when they're supposed like they don't shut down they don't shut down because they haven't been told what the expectation is or they have a leader that says well you know i i i email from 10 to midnight because that's what works for me but the leader never says i email from 10 to midnight because that's what works for me but i don't expect that of you you do it at a time so really deciding like what needs to be synchronous and what can be asynchronous and what's the expectation around response time is it an hour is it five minutes? Is it 24 hours? Is it three days? You know, but people aren't really having these conversations and they're actually pretty simple conversations to have. We just have to have the courage to have them or organizations need to put the structure in place where we give people permission and kind of like, you know, the flow of how to have them and how do you make these commitments? That's the most basic way to embed well-being in the flow of work. Now, there are also other things that you can do, like at the start of meetings or the end of meetings where you can do, you know, a time to arrive where you take a deep breath or, you know, do gratitude exercises, those types of things that take a few minutes before the end of a meeting. The other way that you can do these things is actually looking at the work itself and redesigning the way that people are working, right? And so if you are, you know, in a role that is, you know, heavy tech driven where you're spending, you know, eight, nine hours behind a laptop every single day, you know, looking at ergonomics, looking at physical space and work environment. How are people working? What is the, you know, natural light situation look like? Are they standing? Are they sitting? Can we use the the technology itself to nudge and prompt people to make different and better decisions? You know, can we look at, you know, there's software out there now where we can look at, you know, work patterns and improve daily, you know, our work habits. I mean, one of the great things about technology is it's really easy to invite anybody and everybody to a meeting. One of the terrible things about technology is it's really easy to invite anybody and everybody to a meeting. So like rethinking the way that we've actually been working and not just just replace like, you know, in person, I think what we did at the beginning of pandemic was like in person work, we just tried to replicate that in a virtual world and realized like, oh, wait, this this isn't working for anyone. So how do we redesign that and rethink the way that we're working? So we create these natural, we recreate kind of some of these natural pauses in the day. And we use the technology to nudge those behaviors or to even force those behaviors by, by making people aware, right? Like we want to give them data to say, these are your work patterns. This is how much time you're spending in meetings. This is how much time or not that you're doing focused work. (laughs) This is how many people, you know, this is how many emails you sent during the day. This is how many you sent in your like self proclaimed, you know, after hours, right? And are you okay with this? Or do you want to change some of those behaviors? And so using the data and the technology to really promote that. And then, you know, really thinking as we redesign work, like thinking about, okay, how do we redesign work so that we're not, you know, we're not turning people into machines. We've done a pretty 
well, we've tried to turn people into machines and it's, I think it's backfiring <laughs> in, in a way, right? Like we need to use our machines to augment our humanity, not really not change our humanity into technology because it won't work. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it makes me think, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. It's so easy for somebody to say like, oh, this is what should happen. And like, there's a train that goes out and, you know, division leaders tell your managers, make sure to do this, right? But as you're talking, I'm thinking like, this seems like it would be great for the first few weeks, but if if there's no measurement that goes up, like if if the people on top aren't actually looking at how many of folks actually, you know, if there's no reporting on whether managers are actually having time set aside to get to know the people who work for them, like it seems like there'd be such a breakdown if you can't like get that measurement up to the people who can enforce changes actually happening. It's, you know, it's like the poster on the wall that's like, everybody did that for the first Absolutely, few weeks, right? right? Yeah, like, go get them. <laughs> I, so I completely agree. I, you know, I kind of wish that we lived in a world that that wasn't true, that everybody just, you know, knew that it was the right thing to do, perhaps for, for, for them and for the people that work. But look, like life and work get in the way and it's complicated. And so I do think that we, we need to measure it. And I think that people leaders need to be measured on it. I think they need to be held accountable to it. I think that it needs to be part of the goaling process because that's the, I mean, Unfortunately, that's the only way that it's going to happen. And and people higher up, you know, they do need to be looking at these things, and they and they need to be not looking at it not just for the people that work, but for, for themselves too. You know, and and role modeling the behavior and holding themselves accountable. It needs to be part of the strategic priority of any organization. It can't. It's no longer a nice to have. I think it's a it's a must have. And we do and we do need to measure it because. You know, we, we, another way to kind of compare it, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, ESG, like sustainability is getting a lot of, of, of play right now and kind of looking at our sustainability practices and the decisions that organizations are making. I look at this as human sustainability. Like, how are we, what are we doing in our organizations that are going to, you know, help sustain the performance of the humans that work for us for the, for the long haul, right? It's not, not that the, I mean, the environment and all those things that we're looking at, we need to do that too, but this is the human component of, of sustainability. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. You know, I think about this and I think there's a couple of examples that, that have been really interesting to me because I think, you know, being, being a numbers guy, sometimes, you know, we're investing or I'm like, like, or I'm the people guy on sales, but it's like, you know, like it's a bit of like the hunter killer mindset. If, if you if you've like, you know, been commission only sales reps at any point in your life, whatever, right? That never really leaves you, right? And so, you know, being the chairman of our investment fund, it it can like I can get very task oriented, right? And so, you know, a couple of books I've read that make me think about things you're saying, like in the the Netflix book, Reed Hastings book, No Rules Rules, where he's talking about like running it like a pro sports team. Yeah. And and that which makes me think about Daniel Coyle's book, Culture Code, and like the that coach at the San Antonio Spurs basketball team, where he's like, he really wants results. Like he's a killer. Like he's like, we are gonna we're going for the championship, right? And he knows what all these guys' favorite restaurants is. And he like he's so personal and and like it's not an excuse to not go after the top results to go like, these are humans. These are not machines, as you're saying. And but I would say, I would say, you don't burn you know, out. right. All of those things will actually help you get the top results, right? When people feel heard and seen and invested in as a human being, they're 
like their well-being goes up just because they're heard and seen, but they're also willing to go the extra mile for you, right? Like if you, if you treat them like a human being and if you give people the opportunity to take care of themselves and to rest and recover, they're going to come back better, right? Like it's not, it, you know, like if you're just going at it, going at it, going at it, you're all going to burn out. Like we've seen it time and time again. I've been there, <laughs> you know, that like that hustle culture is, it. it's just, it's not sustainable. And, you know, when people feel invested in, when people feel seen, when they feel heard, you know, when they feel like somebody cares about them and knows them, they're, they're going to show up better. They're they're going to do better work and they're probably going to do better work in less time because <laughs> they're more engaged. Well, yeah, it's like short-term thinking versus long-term thinking, yeah, you know? Absolutely. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. One of the one of the most inspiring organizations I've ever seen, there it's like it was I went out to the Midwest and I did this tour and it's just a, like a food manufacturing plant, you know, not you're like, you don't think about like the shining beacon of like <laughs> work. Everybody can't wait to get a job in food manufacturing. Right. But one of the things that stuck with me so much in the last handful of years since I was there is because we were, we were doing an assessment. They were trying to win this award. I was on the team going around listening to all these assessments and repeatedly across the organization, we would hear, oh, well, when I was with my manager on my quarterly career planning, this happened, whatever. And like, I'm sitting with, with these managers and, and I'm like, so tell me about how you got this job or what happened. Like, oh, well, you know, over the years on my quarterly career planning, this is what we shot for my, my, my manager shot, showed me how to get this job. And, and it's like this, like lattice work of potential. It's not just the one way. And I can trust it. I was at, you know, talking to a, a friend who's very senior executive at a very, very well-known brand that everybody on this episode would know, everybody listening would know. And he's talking about like potentially leaving after, you know, 15 plus years. And he just says like, well, there's nowhere for me to go. There's nowhere, there's nowhere for me to go up from here. And this is, and, and kind of like, and nobody cares that there's nowhere for me to go, you know? And it was just inspiring this idea of like these people with like a very accountable structure to every manager, every quarter says, what do you want to do with your career here? Here's the telling thing. That food manufacturing plant has like all these people who have been there for like 27 years yeah. and like unheard of lengths of time in today's work environment. And yeah. there's a bunch of other things about their culture, but that was one that I just had not seen taken that seriously. Well, and it's something that, I mean, what sticks out at me is that it, it kind of starts from the moment that you walk in the door, right? It's not something that happens when you make it to a certain level. They invest in every single person, regardless of what their level is. That's just their way, right? And, and you know, if, if that happens with you, the moment you walk through the door, you're going to turn around and, you know, do that same exact thing with, with the people. And so th that's a really positive example of like behaviors and norms that probably were created a long time ago that have served them well and continue to serve well. Right. And at the same time, there's, there's some that organizations need to look at and go, yeah, not so much anymore. <laughs> but the ones that are, I think, truly like human centered and human focused, those stand the test of time. And for the most part, right. Cause human beings are, you know, we're, we're human beings. Right. And so, you know, we, we want to connect with others. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to feel happy. We want to feel valued. We want to know that the work that we do connects to something bigger than us. I think that's really important for leaders is, you know, connecting personal purpose to organizational purpose and helping people understand how the work that they do every single day, regardless of what the work is, it doesn't have to be big, meaningful work, just helping them connect it to what's, what's bigger than me, you know, what's the downstream impact of the work that we're doing. And I think that 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 can be done in any job and in any industry. You just have to be creative about it. Yeah. 
you know, these guys, all the way from the managers to the directors, like yeah. they were getting asked, did you have your session with every one of your people this quarter? Yeah. Like it was a problem if you hadn't done it. You know yeah. what I mean? So like it was getting measured. So it was getting done. But the other thing was, it wasn't like these quick fixes. Like it wasn't like the, like the five minute bandaid. Well, you, maybe you should work on this. Like people talked about like 18 month or two year programs with their manager. And it was like quarterly check-ins on like what, you know, what skills, if you really want that kind of a job here, like, let's talk about what it's going to take to get that job. You're going to have to get out of this. Do you have that certification yet? Do you, you know, and it was like a long-term investment. And I think people just that it must be just like somebody else cares about my career besides me. Like they really care. And, yeah. and that must be a connector. For sure. I mean, they think about it in your own life, right? Like if somebody took the time to invest in you and then check in regularly, I mean, the accountability is huge too, right? Right. If I know that they're serious about this and there's going to be a quarterly check-in, I'm, I'm going to get it done <laughs> because otherwise I'm going to have to answer for it. Right. So the success rate is probably amazing. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Right. Well, listen, we probably got time for, for one more story. What's, what's one more story from the book? Let's see one more story from the book. I'm trying to think. I mean, we we covered a bunch of. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about my burnout story. I'm certainly the story of of you know why workplace relationships is is so important to me. There's a there's a, a entire section in the book which is kind of fun where we decode different types of work workplace relationships and we had a little bit of fun with it and we gave them you know mascots. I won't give them away. I'll tell people to to buy the book or to get the book and but we had a little fun with that and and our hope is that, you know, that, that everybody somehow aspires to be a, a dolphin in the workplace and they can read the book and, and figure out what that means. You could probably make some assumptions and figure out what that means, but we had some, we had a, we had a good time kind of putting that together and, and just making it fun and, and relatable to people and the experiences that, that we've all had at work. And, and, you know, I mean, the, the truth is, is we're not telling people that, you know, everybody at work has to be your best friend. That's not realistic at work. That's not realistic in life, but you know, you can be, you can be kind <laughs> and you can be respectful and you can work with people that, you know, perhaps aren't going to be your best friend, but there are ways to create workplace cultures where we can all thrive. And, and really that's the goal is, you know, psychological safety and trust in the workplace so that, that all of us can, you know, thrive in the workplaces that we're in and beyond. And so I don't know that that's an actual story in the book, but, you know, check out the, where we kind of decode the workplace really, because that's kind of my favorite part of the book. And I think where we had the most fun writing it, we had a lot of laughs. <laughs> that's fun. Okay. My next question then is there's not a lot of people, you know, an organization with 120,000 employees, there's not a lot of people that make it to a C-level title of any sort. <laughs> what do you think you've done different in your career? What do you what do you attribute that success to that maybe not everyone else did? Honestly, relationships. I know that like you're going to say, "Oh, she's going to say that cuz she just got done writing a book about it." But it's it's true. I mean, if I look back at, you know, the the times in my relation in my in my career, you know, where I struggled, it was the people that helped me, you know, get out of that struggle. If I look back on my career at the times where things went really well and I celebrated, it was the people that, you know, that helped me get there that I celebrated with. And so you know, none of us get where we are alone. And that's cliche, but it is just so true. And it's the people that it's really truly the people that you surround yourself with and the relationships that you have with them, for sure. Yeah. 
Well, um, before I ask my last question, why don't you tell people again uh, where they can get the book, where they can find the podcast, these things. Yep, they can find the book. The easiest way is probably on Amazon. Uh, go on, on on Amazon, search Work Better Together. Otherwise, you know, any of your local book retailers, if they don't have it, they can probably place an order for you. You can find me on social media, LinkedIn, Jen Fisher, Twitter and Instagram, JenFish23. And my own uh, podcast is Work Well, all one word on any podcatcher. <laughs> Too fun. Well, got to get used to saying all those in yeah, yeah. sequence. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite question this year has been asking guests, what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. I would have to say that... Um, self-care isn't selfish and that's become quite cliche. I feel like the marketing gurus, which I love, but the marketing gurus of the world have, have convinced us that self-care is, you know, something that we do when we're exhausted or just on Sundays. But I, you know, that through my burnout and everything that I have been through, the number of people and the number of times I've been told that I have to take care of myself first in order to show up to the things and the people that really matter to me in life. I finally get it, but I had to hear it a whole bunch of times and it's just it's just true, you know? I mean, it, we tend to we tend to sacrifice ourselves for everything and everyone else and really when we do that, we're suboptimizing, you know, what's really important to us and, and the way that we show up. And so I think, you know, taking care of ourselves is is the first priority and then everything flows after that. It's interesting, you know, I've got I've got four kids. And as you're saying that, I was just thinking about the airplane example of like, put your own oxygen mask, put your own oxygen mask on first. Like as a parent, there's nothing you want more than to protect your kid, especially the littler they are and the less, the less talking back they've been doing. Right. But, but you really, you really are being risky to not, you know, and I think about like, you know, one of, one of my mentors, this guy, Joel Davis has been on the show. He, I remember being early in my career, this may be like, 16 years ago or something. He, he's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years older than me and just this great mentor. And he just said, the flaws of the CEO will for sure be, will for sure show up in any organization. And I think about like, if I get burned out and I'm in a bad mood, it's contagious. Every, yeah. Everything flows. Yeah. It, it absolutely is. If I just, it could just be even just my lack of energy. Like if I'm just if I'm not on my A game that we're going to win, like, I don't know, everybody, like other people are like timid to be around me, you know, mm-hmm. and like, maybe that's like some sort of like bad leadership thing and people should be more empowered or something. But it is like, I think it's a default of, you know, if the leader, the leader's emotions are potentially the most contagious emotions on a team. I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, and it goes the other way too, right? I mean, you're, you, when you show up with, and that's not to say, right, like there's a place in the workplace for all emotions, right? We're, we're not promoting toxic positivity here, right? Like you have to be show up and be like, yeah, go get them. You know, we're not promoting that, but it's true, right? Like being able to show up with good energy. I mean, good energy and bad energy are equally as contagious. Actually, I think bad energy probably is more contagious <laughs> or it just spreads quicker. I'm not sure which. <laughs> yeah, You know, I read all these books about willpower and brain science and stuff. And I've like come so, to my own, my own theory, work, right? <laughs> I, I've come to my own theory on willpower. You can tell me if you agree or disagree, but I think that, you know, some of the willpower science about like, it's that it's like a battery and it gets worn down during a day has kind of been proven that it's not, it doesn't work quite like that. But to me, I think that willpower is, is partially like that. And it's like, I find my observation at least is that like the willpower for me to take a lot of personal responsibility for my own emotions, things like this 
is highly dependent on my emotions, which are highly dependent on if I slept, if I ate well, do I feel that? You know, it's like those very basic things roll out into the kind of example I set once you get down the road a little. For, for sure. I, I actually, I completely agree with that. I mean, if we are sleep deprived, not eating well, not moving, not, I mean, our ability to process emotions and, and show up and just, I mean, we're reactive, right? I mean, you, and, 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 and some people are more practiced at it than others. Mindfulness is a great tool. Meditation and mindfulness is a great strategy and tool to help you, you know, be kind of more aware and in the moment and, and not be so reactive to your emotions. But all of that falls apart if you're not taking care of yourself. It just, it just does, you know, whether it's at work or home, it will, it will catch up with you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what actually convinced me to start sleeping is like, I yeah. found out like the higher, like if you look at high achievers, it's like the higher you start going up the ladder, the less they sleep until you get to the highest levels. And then they're like, they're crazy about protecting their sleep and they catch up on the weekend and stuff like that. We can have you know? a whole, I am the biggest sleep geek advocate. I mean, like we, we can have a whole, we can have a whole nother conversation about sleep. Anytime you want to talk about sleep, let, let's do it. I love, I love sleeping and I love talking about sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that might uh, be my next book is sleep. Yeah? Okay. We'll come. <laughs> Come back on the show once you get it done. We'll talk awesome. Um, hey, this has been great. Thanks for making time. Congrats on the for book. Sure. Thank you. It was great to be on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, you bet. Bye, everyone.